Father, we bless you this day, and we thank you, Lord, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. We thank you, Lord, that you speak into our lives because you love us. And Lord, we pray for that continuing work of the Holy Ghost in our life, that you would reveal truth to us, that you would take us deeper into communion and fellowship with you, Lord, that you would strengthen us and refine us. And Lord, we pray just for that the spirit to be at work in this church, Lord, that we would not leave this place the same way that we came. But I pray, God, that you would not only place a deposit in our life, but, Lord, that you would transform us, that you would change us, God. There would be something different about us this day. Lord, I pray this morning for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. Lord, we ask, Father, for that anointing uh, that we can hear and receive everything that you have for us this day. Lord, we ask for that anointing to flow in this place. Open our eyes and our ears to your word, Lord. Let that anointing uh, produce change in us. And Lord, we ask this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everybody says, amen, amen. amen. Well, hallelujah. This morning we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. One of the things that we're going to get into this morning is one of the callings that God has on your life is to be set apart and to show forth his praise. You know, a lot of times we get misconstrued and we think our, our, our purpose in life is to vote for the next president or our purpose in life is to, is to lay up a, 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 a money tree for our kids or our purpose in life is, you know, to be something. Now, your purpose in life is to know God, amen, to be set apart and to show forth his praise. And I want to ask you this morning, how are you being set apart and how is God showing forth through your life? Because you're not going to be able to live like the world, act like the world and do what the world does and be set apart showing forth his praise because God took you out of the world and God placed you into Jesus, Amen. And if that hasn't happened, then you need to get saved. Uh, but the reality is, is there's a, a calling on your life and that calling starts. I want to show you something in this passage here. and We're going to develop this out because this actually goes all the way back to a, a story I want to share with you about David this morning. Uh, David was one of the, the mighty uh, kings. He was the king, the, uh, the one that followed King Saul. And he was the one that had the heart after God. You know, he messed up. He had some mess ups and um, and God brought him through those things because his heart was for God. You know, sometimes we can mess up and sometimes we miss the mark. But if we have a heart for God, we'll listen to his words. We'll listen to the, to the convicting voice of God and we'll come back to that place where we are sorrowful and broken and repentant. And God can do a work of restoration in our life. And bring the, the mercy and the grace that we need. But if we don't have a heart for God, and if we're not repentant, then we won't see those things in our life. This morning, I want to share with you um, God's call on your life to be set apart and to show forth his praise. That is definitely one of the things that David did in his life. He was set apart for God, for his work, for his glory. And uh, I hope and pray that that's the case for you this morning. Let's read this passage in verse number 9. So 1 Peter chapter 2, read with me. We're going to read verse 9 and 10. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, 
a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. One of the things that I want you to see in this passage is that at one time you were not a people of God. At one time in your life. So if nothing else you ever hear today, you need to know at one time in your life, you were not the people of God, but God had mercy on you. And now you are the people of God. Amen. Can I get a witness? Are you the people of God today? Amen. So if God never does anything else, he did something for me that I couldn't do. He took me out of my helpless condition. He took me out of my lost condition and he brought me into his family. He adopted me into the family of God by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And one of the things that we see in this passage, though, is that we once were not a people. How is it that God brought us into his family? I'll tell you, it's summed up with one word, mercy. Mercy. God had mercy on us. Amen? God has mercy on people today. A lot of people, they don't want to extend mercy to others. But you know what? God extended mercy to you. God extended mercy to you when you were bound up in your pride. God extended mercy to you when you were a fornicating drunk. Or when God extended mercy to you when you were a thief and, and a covetous person. God extended mercy to you. God had that door of salvation open for you. And that door of salvation is still open today. The lost still go to hell? Come on. Do the lost still go to hell? Amen. If they die without Jesus, that's exactly where they go. But God has mercy on them and wants to save them just like he did us. The part I want you to see in this is that at one time you were not a people. There was a there was a point in time when David was a nobody in Israel. There's a point in time when he was overlooked and forgotten, when he was neglected and he was unuseful for anything in the kingdom of God. He was too small of stature. He didn't have the right name. He didn't come from the right lineage. There was a nobody. He was nothing in the kingdom of God. But something changed. God had mercy on him. God saw something. Amen? God saw his heart. And you know, that's the reality is that God sees our hearts. Even this day, God sees our hearts. And if we want to see his mercy at work in our life, we've got to make sure that our heart is where it needs to be with God. Because that's exactly what God's looking for in you. God's, God don't have a pen and a paper checking your attendance this morning. Amen. He's not seeing if you can sing on key this morning. Hallelujah. He looking, he's looking past your attendance and he's looking past what key you sing on. And he's looking right into your hearts. You want to move the heart of God? Get your heart on Him. And one of the things that we fail and we forget so much in our culture is God wants to show this same mercy on this generation. God wants to use you. Look at that in that verse 9. He said that we should show forth the praises of Him. God wants to show forth His praises through your life. 
One of the things, there's a disconnect. There's the, there's the heart of God and the message of God and there's the gospel, but there's a disconnect because the people of God will pile up in a building, but God has called us to go out into the community and bring light into that community to show forth his praises. We need to go around telling people what God's done for us. We need to go around with our testimony telling people how good our God is. And if God's been good to us, he can surely be good to you. The message that God has been given to us is the message of salvation for the lost. Amen? He called us out of darkness and into light. And I'll I tell you what, I'm so thankful that I'm no longer in the darkness. I'm so thankful that he brought me into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. I I thank God that I'm no longer wandering on my own path and trying to figure out life on my own. I don't know about you, but I remember life just didn't make sense. I I always was looking forward to the New Year's Eve service. It was my favorite holiday as a lost man. New Year's Eve was my favorite holiday as a a lost man. You know why? Because I thought this year's got to be better than last year. This is the year everything's going to be different and better. How many of you know it got worse? It never got better until I got Jesus. I mean, it just continued to get worse. It continued to get darker. I continued to get more bound up in my sin. I continued to be worse than ever before until I turned to Jesus. But I thank God somebody knocked on our door and invited us to church. Amen. I thank God for it. God used those people that, that, that witnessed to us. And God brought in a harvest. Amen. And you know, God wants to do the same thing through you. God wants to do that same thing. But I, I remember what it was like to be in that darkness. And I remember what it was like to have no hope. And I now know what it means when God says we should show forth his praises. That means we need to tell people what God has done for us. And you may say, well, I'm not an evangelist and I'm not good at articulating it. Well, let God be God. Let God do what he needs to do in you. You know, Moses started that out with God. He said, well, I, I, I can't talk. And God said, well, bring your brother. I'll talk through him. You keep giving excuses, God will make a way. God will bypass you if he needs to. But don't limit God. Don't say, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, I serve a God that can. Amen. Amen. It's never been about your ability. It's been about God. Your surrenderability. And if if you'll surrender to God and let God be God in you, what you'll see is God will begin to show forth through you His praise. And what our generation needs out there today is they need to see the light of Jesus. They need to see that there's hope at the cross for them. They need to see that God has not forgotten them. That God has a plan for them. This generation, listen, is lost as a duck. But it's not outside of God's means. It's not outside of God's ability to save. It's not outside of God's ability to start a revival Right in the middle of this wayward, lost, carnal, mixed up, messed up generation. Where they're perverting children in schools. Where they're chemically castrating little boys. Where they're, where they're abusing people right and left. Where all of this ungodliness is going on. God still has the ability to move. God still has the ability to get a harvest 
See, our job is not just to point fingers at people. Our job is to be useful for the kingdom of God that he can show forth his praise through us. You have a call on your life to be set apart to show forth the praises of God. And we're going to develop this out, but that is the calling of God on your life. A lot of times people, especially younger folks, we don't know what our calling is. And then us older folks, sometimes we have situations in life that happen and we're like, well, what am I supposed to do now? I thought life was going to be like this and now here I am like this. Now what do I do? You show forth his praise. That's what you do. You let the light of God shine through you. You let God be God. As John the Baptist said, I've got to decrease so that he increase. Let God do that. Why don't you take let self come down a notch and let God just be more glorified in you? Amen. Be set apart to show for this praise and watch what God wants to do in your life. But I want to tell you something. It starts not with what you do, but it starts with what God's done in you. That's where it starts at. You see, I can, we, I can get up here and holler and, you know, come on, come on, come on. But it starts with the burden on the inside. It starts with you knowing that God's done something for you that you couldn't do. Go back and read that verse. He said, we once were in darkness, now we're in light. I once was not in the family of God, now I am. I once was not a people. You know what? That does something in me. And you see, one of the things that a lot of people do, they just skip over stuff, especially when you go in church and you hear a message, you, you, you know, you'll hear something, that's good. And then you go on to the next thing. You go, oh, that's okay. And you go on. But the thing is, is you, need to, you need to meditate and marinate. Let the Word of God do something in you. You really need to take a step back and say, wait a second. I, at one time, was not the people of God. But God had mercy on me. And the more you meditate on the reality that you were lost and you were away from God and and you were outside the family of God, but God had compassion and mercy on you, it'll begin to stir something on the inside and you'll begin to show forth his praises. See, that's from that inward work that God does in our life. Like I said, we can sit up here and holler and scream and, you know, tell people, get in gear, get in gear, but it starts in the heart. It starts with the mercy and the compassion of God at work in our life. Amen. And I thank God so much for people. I'm so thankful that I pastor a church of people that are thankful for the work that God's done in their life. Amen. But I want to tell you something. I'm more committed than ever to show forth the praises of God in my life. I want that light to shine brighter in my life tomorrow than it is today. I'm not satisfied with what I've done for God. I'm not satisfied with where I've been for God. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I want more of God, and I want His glory to be seen in my life. Amen? I want more of God in our generation. I'm not satisfied with a generation that doesn't know its right hand from its left hand. It doesn't know if it's a boy or a girl. It doesn't know what's good and what's evil. It does not know, and I'm not satisfied with that. And the more that we see this burden develop in the church, the more the world will begin to see the praises and the glory and the mercy and the compassion of our God. Oh, man, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Zacchaeus. 
Y'all remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man? Some of y'all went to Sunday school and it shows. Zacchaeus was that wee little man. Everybody else didn't see him, but Jesus did. Jesus did. Turn with me to Luke 17. Let me show you about Zacchaeus. Luke 19. Turn with me to Luke 19. Verse 1. How many of you ever felt forgotten? Overlooked. Not important. Useless. A lot of people feel this way. Sometimes, especially parents can tell you this, you feel like you're talking to the wind. Goes in one ear and out the other. Nothing you say makes a difference. Sometimes in life we can feel like that. We can feel like no matter what I do, nothing's going to change. Nobody listens to me. We feel like we're powerless to change the situation. We feel overlooked, forgotten and neglected, not important and useless. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Evidently, somebody had told him about Jesus. Evidently, there was one of, one of you guys was back in there. One of y'all that likes to share the gospel. One of, one of you guys that are lighthouses for the gospel. There was somebody back in there that was telling Zacchaeus about a man named Jesus who was the son of David, right? The Messiah. He's around and he's doing these things. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't because of the crowd. Verse 1, chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He was a Thief, by the way, that's what he means. It says in verse 3, And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, Make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. I'm going to stop right there. The part I want you to see in this is that Zacchaeus was overlooked. Nobody had room for him. Nobody gave him an ability to come to the front of the crowd. They didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus is a little short. Let's move him up to the front. Let's, let's help this guy out. Everybody looked past him. They forgot about him. They neglected him. He was, he was not able to see Jesus in and of his own strength and in and of his own way, but he had to climb up in that tree. How many of you, you know, you know what that's like. You know what that's like. And this is the part I love. Jesus is enthronged by many people. As Jesus is going and the crowd's there, I mean, think about this. There's so many people that Zacchaeus could not even see Jesus. How many people were there? There were so many people around the man of God. There were so many people around him. And yet he saw one person in particular. He saw one person in particular. I want to tell you something. God will look past the crowd. God will look past the proud 
crowd. And God will put his eye on that heart that yearns for him. God will look past the the way things appear on the outside and God will maneuver through people and places and things and he will zero in on that heart that has a burning, yearning desire for himself. God will find you. Let me tell you something. God will pick you out of the crowd if you'll get a heart for God. God will put his eye on you. Zacchaeus up in that tree, crowd all around Jesus, and here's Jesus walking by, and he's not saying nothing to nobody else but but to Zacchaeus. He said, come on down, I'm going to your house. I'm coming to you. Let's go commune together. Let's get some things settled. Notice that Jesus didn't clean his fish before he caught him. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, you need to get, you know, all that money back to people you stole from, and then I'll come to your house. He said, let's go to your house. And as Zacchaeus was around that holy man of God, when Zacchaeus was around the God of Israel, when Zacchaeus was around righteousness, it stirred something in him. And when he saw the mercy and compassion in the eyes of the Savior, he said, I can't hold on to that which is unrighteous anymore. I've been touched by the righteous one. I cannot hold on to anything that is unrighteous anymore. That's where true holiness is birthed. When you truly get touched by God, when you truly have the hand of God on your life, it will create something in you, such as Zacchaeus did. Well, you see here that what we need in our generation is Holy Ghost discernment. What do I mean by that? Jesus looked through the crowd. If you ask people today, they would have brought the crowd into the church. But Jesus looked past the crowd to the one. That's called Holy Ghost discernment. What if there would have been thousand hearts? Well, Jesus would have went to thousands of meals, I guess. But you see, we have it backwards. We look at the crowds, but Jesus looks at the one. He looks for the hearts. Amen. He's willing to look past those others. And you may say, why would Jesus look past? We'll get there. Don't get ahead of me. I'm going to show you exactly why. But the part I want you to see in this this message is that Jesus looks where people can't see. He sees brokenness. When everybody else sees the, the, the makeup and the lipstick and everybody else sees the tie and the suit. Everybody else sees the nice car and the, the beautiful home. Jesus can see the brokenness. Jesus can see the hypocrisy. Jesus can see the heartache, the lost condition. But see, in the natural, you can't see that. We're talking about things in the spiritual realm. You can't see into the spirit with the natural eye. Jesus was able to look past what appeared in the natural, and he was able to look right on into the spiritual part. 
And I want you to know that Jesus hasn't changed. How many of y'all know that we serve a God that changes not? Amen? Amen? We serve a God that changes not. And so if the same Jesus can look past the natural outward appearance of everyone and see right into the heart of everyone, I want you to know he's doing that right now. This very moment, he's seeing right into our hearts. Amen. I mean, we, we, we don't need to say, oh, hold on, hold on, let me get some things right. No, he's already seen your heart. He sees all. Everything's naked and bare before God. And as he's walking through Jericho, everything was naked and bare before God. He saw the people. He saw them. How many of y'all know that sometimes people give you those, you know, oh, here's Jesus. Oh, you know, they give him all this adoration, but it's all lip service. It's all coming from a place of duty, not devotion. I know I need to, you know, I know I need to say something, so let me say something. I'll get in trouble if I don't. Duty. But there was one person there that got his heart. That devotion. Jesus saw devotion. And you know what? He does the same thing today. And here's the beautiful part. Jesus, in that moment when he saw the heart of Zacchaeus, he said, all right, let's commune together. You know what that tells me? It tells me that when we as the people of God will get our hearts right with God, what do we receive? Communion. Closeness. Nearness with God. That very near presence and power of God. The purifying influence. The peace of God. See, Zacchaeus got more than to see Jesus. Not only did he see Jesus... Jesus saw him. He got more than he desired. Amen. Everybody was wanting to see Jesus, but Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Not only did he see Jesus, but he got Jesus. He received Jesus. Amen. There's a a, a part of this message that I want you to see. It's built on mercy. It's built on mercy. The word mercy means pity and compassion. And I want you to know that we serve a God who is able to give you compassion. One of my favorite scriptures in the word of God says whenever Jesus was uh, moved at one point, it says he was moved with compassion. He looked on the multitude and he was moved with compassion. Several times through the word of God, it says that Jesus is moved with compassion. He empathizes. And here I want you to see the compassion and mercy of God. He's not forgotten you. He's waiting on you. He's not forgotten you. He's waiting on you. He loves you. And he's willing. God is is not going to discriminate. He's no respecter of persons. If you'll set your heart on him. You'll see his power at work in your life. This is a promise that God has. Now, I I told you that this has to do with David. I want to show you something in Isaiah 55. So turn with me over to Isaiah 55. I want to show you something here. This 
has very much to do with, with David and the way that God works in David's life. How many of y'all know people that, that just aren't making any traction? Spinning their wheels. Sometimes we feel like that. We feel like we're not going forward, really. Sometimes we feel like we're going around the same mountain again. I think it was A.W. Tozer, he preached a famous message called Rut, Rot, or Revival. He said, if you're in a rut, you either got to sit there and rot or you need revival. That's a very powerful message. The concept is the reality that sometimes we need that, that Holy Ghost smelling sauce. We need to wake up. And, and realize we're in a rut. And there are many people in the, in the kingdom of God that are in a rut spiritually. And that's a dangerous place to be. According to Tozer, there's two alternatives. Rot or revival. You know God's good. He lets you choose. You want to stay in that rut? You're going to rot. It's a whole message in itself, but you'll rust out eventually. But at the, on the same hand, if you realize you're in that rut and you cry out to God and you get your heart set upon God, there is mercy at the cross and there's still power in the Holy Ghost and God will do a work of reviving that which was stuck. And what we need in our generation is we need a people that are filled up with the Holy Spirit, that are on fire for God, that are ready to go out and face, listen to me, a, 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 an enemy with a fearless determination. Now, we'll dive on that later, but there, the enemy today is, is, is dark and depraved and knows his time is short and we have to get a church that is fearless and we will never be fearless in the face of the adversary until we get this right you have to get this right otherwise you're going to be over your skis you're going to be like the sons of Sceva out there rebuking devils in the name of Jesus and Paul <laughs> And that devil's going to say, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? You have to get this right. You have to get the foundation right. This part must not be neglected. Verses 1 through 4. It says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that had no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Let's stop right there for a second. We're talking about natural versus spiritual food. We're talking about God supplying the, not the natural, but the spiritual. 
Many people today, they labor for the natural. They work like a dog for a paycheck. Many people today, they labor for the natural. And yet the spiritual is neglected. See, there's things that God has that you can't buy. He said, these things you buy without money. How do you access these things? He's about to show you. But you have to realize first and foremost that there is a a spiritual food and a spiritual thirst that money cannot buy. There is a need that the soul has that only God can supply and the natural man cannot touch. It produces in us a humility to know there's a need greater than the natural world can supply. And that need comes from God. See, we don't need it from a psychologist. We don't need it from a psychiatrist. We don't need it from the government. We don't need it from a bigger stimulus check. We don't need it from this. What we need is we need the hand of God on our lives. That's what our greatest need is. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know that God can sustain me through the storm. Amen? God, listen to me, God fed Elijah by birds. He wasn't waiting on stimulus check from the, from the king that served false gods. He was waiting on God to bring bread by the ravens. And if God can still do miracles today, if God can still open up the windows of heaven and pour out his blessings on his people, if he did it back then, he can do it today. So... There's a a need that is greater than the natural. And until you realize that, you're going to be lost. See, when Zacchaeus went up in that tree to see Jesus, there evidently was a burden in him to see something more than the natural man. I'm thinking he thought, is this truly Messiah? Is that man named Jesus that they said, is the son of David. Is this really Messiah? If he is, that's who I want. There was something evidently in, in Zacchaeus. He didn't want to just see Jesus so he could like take a picture and say, oh yeah, there he was. But there was something greater. It was something greater. You see, It says in verse 3 and 4 of this passage, it says, Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. How many of you know that David received mercy in his life? David received so much mercy and grace God actually has a name for the mercies that he gave David, the mercies of David. Might have that about us, right? <laughs> that one was bad. There's the mercies of Kenny right there. But, but David had a, a, such a powerful testimony about God's goodness. He was able to show forth the praises of the one that, that bought him. He was able to show forth the praises of the God he served, even to the point to where his wife even despised how loud he was, how undignified he was. He was able to show forth the praises of his God, and he didn't care what people thought. 
He didn't care how it looked. He didn't care how it sounded. He was ready to show forth the praises of the one that loved him. And it all started when he was a young boy. It all started when he was a young boy. See, God had his finger on David at a young age because David had a heart for God. God saw past certain things. Look at this in verse 4. It says, Behold, speaking of David, Behold, I have given him. God has done this. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. David has been given by God as a witness, as a witness to his mercy. Now, this is important. This is the part I want you to see. God's been merciful to us, and God showed mercy to David, but it all started when David was a young boy. It all started back then. And if you, how many of you need God's mercy in your life today? I want to show, I want to show you something. God had compassion and pity on David, and God did something for David. God took him. He once did not have the family of God. He once was a nobody in Israel, and God took him out of where he was, and he brought him to where he wanted him to be. God did that. And the last passage I'm going to share with you today is is that culmination on that, how David had this written of him. How is it that that in the word of God, there's something called the mercies of David, the sure mercies of David, because David struck a chord in the heart of God. David struck a chord in the heart of God. There was something that David did that moved the heart of Jehovah Jireh, that moved the heart of Jehovah Shalom, the one that moved the heart of the Holy One of Israel. David was just a man. And you know what? It's within your ability to move the heart of God as well. And it do, it's not because of your talent. It's not because of your gifting. It's not because of your calling. It's because of your heart. If you get that heart right with God, you can actually move the heart of God himself. God will be moved by you. Uh, the word of God says that God's eye is on that sparrow. So we know his eye is on us. He knows how many hairs are on his, our heads, right? He cares for us. We can move the heart of God just like David did. I mean, how many of you know that Jesus even said that when when there's one that's lost, there's more rejoicing when that one is found in heaven than over 99 that never were lost. The angels even rejoice in heaven when that prodigal comes home. I mean, God's heart is moved when the prodigal comes home. God's heart can be moved. And when we get our hearts back where it's supposed to be, we can move the heart of God as well. 1 Samuel 16. Let's go over here. 1 Samuel 16. I want to tell you something as you turn. God will forever. How many of you feel like sometimes God looks past you? God looks past you. You know what I mean by that? If you've ever felt like God looks past you, this message is for you. This message is for you. Let me tell you something. God will forever look past somebody until there's a hunger there. 
you hear that? God will forever look past somebody. He will forever look past folks until there's a hunger and a thirst there in the soul. Not in the natural, in the soul. Sometimes we're stuck in that rut because we're not hungry for God. We've got filled with the slop of the world. We've got our attentions and affections in the world. And until we get hungry and thirsty for God, God will look past us. Just like Jesus did in, in, in Jericho, he looked past the crowd, but he saw the one that was hungry. He saw Zacchaeus. He saw Zacchaeus. And I want to tell you this morning, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know where you are in life. But I know that God will zero in on you when your heart zeroes in on him. I know that God will pick you out of the crowd. God will pick you out of the crowd if you'll get a heart for him today. In 1 Samuel 16, let me set this up for you. Saul was the king of Israel. In 1 Samuel 16, let me set this up for you. Saul was the king of Israel. And he didn't fully obey God, and God cut him off. God was ready to raise up a new king. And this new king's going to come from Jesse's house. Jesse had many sons. And God told the prophet, go to Jesse's house, and I'm going to anoint my new king. So the prophet Samuel, who knows God's voice, by the way. The prophet Samuel comes to Jesse's house, and it says in verse 6, it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He looked on the first son of Jesse. He's tall. He probably had on a tie. He looked pretty. Probably smelled good too. It, 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 and the prophet looked at this man and he said, that's got to be that one. That's got to be the one. They've got it all together. They've got it all together. You know, that's, that's the, enemy's, the enemy's operating procedure for you is to make it look like you got it all together when you don't. What did Adam and Eve grab after they sinned? Fig leaves. They tried to make it look like they had it all together. When the glory had departed, there was no more glory around them. They were naked and destitute before God, but they had to try to get something. Try to keep that look up when they were fallen. You see, a lot of people today, they try to keep that look up. Mm, but God sees past the looks. He looks down somewhere else. The prophet who's seeing with the natural eye, and he sees the beautiful outward appearance. He sees probably this guy is strong. He's probably articulate. He's probably smart because he dresses good and smells good, okay? Got to be the next king. That's how the natural mind works. Verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, 
How many of you know this is important? Your countenance is the way you appear on the outside. You look across the church, sometimes people look sad, sometimes people look excited, sometimes people look bored, sometimes people look, you know, like they're staring at the wall. But you know what? God looks past the countenance. Right? How many of you know you, 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 you can't judge things by the way they appear on the outside? See, when, when you're talking to me, and you're telling me something really important, a lot of times I'll look at the wall because I'm thinking. It may look on the outside like I'm bored and I'm not listening to you, but what I'm really doing is letting it digest. Are you with me? You see, you, you can't judge something by the outward. God told, God told Samuel, don't look not on his countenance. Or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, we're about to tie this together. I want to show you something in this message. That that there's a, a, a calling on your life, and that calling is to show forth the praises of God to, to show how merciful God's been to you. To show forth the sure mercies of David. How many of you know that you have a promise of the sure mercies of David on your life? What are the, what are the sure mercies of David? We're getting in it right here. We're getting in it. God told this prophet, the natural eye looks on the outward, but I look on the heart. That tells every person that's ever been forgotten, every person that feels useless, every person that feels neglected, every person that feels, this is not my season. I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. This tells every person in those places, your calling on life is to make sure that your heart's on God. To make sure that your heart's on God. God will forever look past us until we bring our hearts to him. It says, he continued on through many of them. He called the next son of Jesse. Then the next son of Jesse. Then the next son of Jesse. Then the next one. God kept rejecting all the sons of Jesse. Verse 11, Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? He said, there remained yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he comes hither. Jesse had kept back the runt. Because when Samuel told him, I'm going to anoint a king out of your house. Jesse thought, well, surely it's got to be some of these finer looking, finer uh, appearing men in my family. Surely it's not that runt. The youngest, the smallest, the one that nobody really cares about. He's tending the sheep, which is the lowest job you could have. He probably smelled like sheep. He didn't smell like Old Spice. He smelled like old sheep. He had mud on him. His face was probably had, had, you know, mud or some dirt on him. 
It says in verse 12 and 13, And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Listen, let me share this with you this morning. God passed by everyone else to get to David because David's heart was right before God. And I want you to know that you can still move the heart of God today if you'll come to him in humility. When, when the word of God says in that previous verse that the sure mercies of David are a witness for you, I want you to know that there was times in David's life that he messed up. There was times in David's life that he sinned greatly. There was times in David's life that, that he did that which God did not want him to do. But there was something that he came back to. He said, you know what, though? God took me when I was a nobody. God took me when I was nothing. And God brought me into his house. God brought me into his lineage. God did something back there for me. And it brought in him another, another level of brokenness and humility. It brought him back that mercy. He truly could say that mercy rewrote his life. He could truly say, God did something for me. And that brokenness and that humility that God did back then, it carried with David for his whole life. He was able, even as an older man that had failed God, to go back and say, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, forgive me. Search me, God. Renew a right spirit within me. He had a heart for God because of what God had done. And I want to tell you something today. If you'll get a heart for God, it's because you'll know what God has done. See, for David, for David, God took him out of the, the, the pasture and brought him in to the palace. He took him out of the pasture and brought him in to the palace. But for you... God took you out of darkness and brought you into light. God took you out of sin and brought you into glory. God took you out of the dominion of the devil and brought you under the kingdom of the Son. God took you when you were a nothing and gave you everything in Jesus. God did that at the cross. And you see, in the same way that David could look back at this moment and say, God looked past everybody else and he saw me and he brought me out of the pasture and into the palace. I want you to know that you look back at the cross and you say, it was at the cross that God had mercy on me. God bought me, amen, with his own precious blood. He didn't have to show me mercy, but he gave me mercy. And therefore, my life now is his. I will lay down my life for my Lord, amen. You see, David was willing to lay down his life. He was willing to lay down his life because he knew, he knew there was a mercy that God gave him. Mercy means God's eyes on you. God had pity and compassion on David and brought him out of that pasture. How many of you remember what it was like to be in the pasture of the devil? I remember what it was like to be under the dominion of the devil. Amen. The Word of God says that the wages of sin is death. Amen. But the gift of God, amen, is everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
The, the wages of sin, that the payment as, as we stay in sin, as we remain in bondage, the payment that we rightfully receive is death. That separation from God, that separation from the goodness of God, that's outside the mercies of God, outside the love. We're, we're forfeiting those things that God has freely given us as we remain in sin. And there was a point in David's life that he was in sin and he was about to get cut off. But he had to come back in brokenness, calling on the mercies of God once again. And God renewed him. God renewed that Holy Spirit within him. God did a work inside of his heart because he had a heart for God. David is known in the Word of God as a man after God's own heart. And I want to tell you, he doesn't have to be the only one. Now, the Word of God's written and it's done. But our book's still going on. Could it be said of you that you have a heart for God? That you are a man or a woman after God's own heart? That you realize he could have left you in the pasture. He could have left you in the pasture, but he went to the cross. And now he's opened up for you. He's opened up for you the privilege to show forth his praises to a generation that's lost. To show forth his praises to a generation that's lost. This morning, I want to ask you about the mercies of God in your life. Are you operating in it? Are you operating in it? Do you need it? Do you need it? Raise your hand this morning if you need the mercies of God. Amen. 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 Lord, we bless you this morning, and we thank you for the mercies of God. Lord, we thank you that it was at the cross that you shed your blood, and you opened up that window of mercy for us. Lord, I pray that not one person in here would remain stuck in their rut.